Nate, what's up? Yo. Yeah, sorry about that. I had to grab headphones. Oh, no worries. Cool. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for trying this out. Um, yeah, this app's pretty pretty neat. I can just record and then, you know, edit it later by putting in like interludes and music and like whatever. So, I, and it's all free. So I figured I'd try it out. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Uh, so how? So this is recorded. And then, so I guess it, it we, saves it. Yeah, it records it and then saves it, and then then I can do all my edits, and then I decide whether to publish it. And cool. The cool part is that the app that I'm using will like automatically. I can either do it manually or just have them do it automatically, where they will just like upload this podcast to you know Spotify and whatever other like podcast apps there are. So. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I've never even heard of this. This is this would have saved, you know, my wife and I a lot of time. Yeah. Snow and I. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. But... Um. Yeah, so I guess it works. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, should we just do a podcast right now, or? Um, All right, welcome to episode one, <laughs> The Externist. <laughs> it's, the, it's The Externist, like all one word, right? Or is it? Yeah, I mean, I originally would have liked to have had like the space externist, like EXT, right? Because this is kind of all about like this idea of and stuff and the environment and our, you know, external interactions. But unfortunately that was taken and then the Instagram name was taken. So I had to just, I had to just go with the straight up X and then turnist. So it's not really what I wanted. You know, I think it might create some confusion at first, but whatever. Once people read no, I, it, I think it, get the, hear the podcast, I think they'll get a better idea of like, of it you know what i mean oh definitely i think um the concept is it's too pertinent to the times you know what i mean so yep. and, yeah. And, uh, um, yeah the message is is needed yeah so yeah, i got my, i got my website um been working on it I did a lot of work yesterday um just trying to like get the formatting and all that stuff done. So hopefully I'll have that published here within the next few days. Um, and, you know, I got, got a couple blogs written on there just like a little bit of content just to get it going. Um, I just got to like find some pictures and, you know, create a logo and do those little things. But yeah, I think uh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited. I've, I mean, you know how passionate I am about all this and, you know, I had talked about wanting to do something like this right after I got out of grad school, but I was just felt too pressured to go to medical school. And so I just didn't really have the time and didn't really know where to start. And so then all these years I've just been building and building. And now I'm like, I got to get this message out, you know? <laughs> so yeah, um, writing's, I, I... writing's been fair, you know, fairly easy because everything's just been coming to me. 
thoughts been flowing. Um, just trying to trying to word it in a way that will inspire people, you know. I I uh, I think it's cool because I I knew you in grad school and uh, I knew you after grad school <laughs> and I knew you throughout your medical school and uh, it's been interesting to see um you know your approach to things and I think you know when we first met you know through weightlifting and. I found out yeah. you were in the pro, the master's in nutrition program that I kind of looked at at one point. Um, that's when this all kind of culminated, I think, yeah. in these idea sharings and, um, you know, and we kind of just had so much in common in terms of nutrition and environment and environmental impacts and, how the message that we see like in public health and the message we um, kind of see in our normal day-to-day environment is like so construed and, and far away from the true, um, you know, significance of, of our environment and our choices on our health and our, our responsibility in that. So, been really cool to um be a part of it like on the sidelines kind of but i think uh you know some of our conversations we probably should have had a podcast (laughs) (laughs) just like the kind of insightful uh you know the moments that we we had where you know it's kind of like that self-realization of uh the need and the and the demand is there you know people want to be healthy people want to get the right information people want to figure out um you Uh, know how uh, they can do this stuff you know yeah no that's yeah you bring up a lot of good points and uh you know i kind of i kind of wrote about that in one of my first blog posts just about how through my own interests and studies and through my education, uh-huh. just getting that realization of like, just how incongruent we are with our environment and specifically with our food, you know, and obviously there's, you know, a lot of different reasons you can think about that, you know, like obviously the, there's the primary conspiracy that, you know, the USDA and big pharma and all them are, you know, creating all this shitty food to make you sick so that the drug companies and hospitals can make money off of you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Some truth in that. I mean, financial gains, right? Huge, huge opportunity. But, um, but you're right. Like people just, people need the tools. And I think one of the roadblocks for people really taking control of their own health is, is knowing where to start. And so like that's part of my approach is like how like can I share this information with people and create some sort of like simple model that people can follow that you know it doesn't have to be complicated eating doesn't have to be complicated right being fit and healthy like it really doesn't have to be complicated but there's just like you're saying just trying to find the truth and there's just so much information out there people don't know what to believe 
And I mean, I guess that's part of my goal too, is to try to spread some truth and keep it simple and try to give people, you know, a place to start. Yeah. I think you're, uh, I think you're one of the probably leading author authorities and resources um, in terms of now that you've gone through, you know, a master's education and nutrition um, through a program that is probably, you know, 10 years ahead in terms of its technological um, kind of premise, uh, its foresight and seeing, you know, those relationships um, and then furthering your education in medical school. It's, it's probably going to like achieve something above and beyond in terms of your ability to disseminate quality information. Um, and that's what people need. They, they need the quality uh, information. I think the big thing too is having a resource that they uh, can hold them accountable um, because, you know, I think in my own experience, um, trying to provide kind of lifestyle guidance and nutrition and exercise it's not so much um, the information as it is also the individual and how they respond to things. So, you know, one diet doesn't fit everybody. Sure. Um, you know, you'll have someone who like thrives on a certain way of eating and you give that same way of eating to someone else and it's a disaster. Yep. Um, it just doesn't work. And uh, like part of the process of health is the individual person learning about themselves and learning what works for them and learning what and, and um, gaining the tools to kind of navigate um, changes and understand how the you know the the basic ways of the body and things can change the body and being able to build off that information is is critical into um you know, feeling more empowered over yourself, being feeling like you have more control over yourself and have more responsibility in your health. And um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And it reminds me of uh, there's this book my sister got me onto years ago, and I'm blanking on the name, but it was written by this oncologist, and um, and he's basically talking about like, personalized medicine, which is basically like what you're saying um you know we're starting to you know understand that you know, people, people metabolize things different right so just like as an example like what you're just saying like maybe eating this particular way or performing this particular exercise works for me but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for you because your body's different the way it processes things is, is very different so yeah i think you're right um trying to build more of an individualized approach with all these things. And that's where having a good, I think, foundation comes into play, right? Like, okay, if there's just these maybe three particular categories, you know, of things in my life that I need to work on that will benefit me and my health. And then going along with the self-discovery, like that's the beauty of it is that like, just take this framework and then you put the pictures that you want in there, right? The pictures that actually work for you. 
that's that's kind of my ideas, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's eventually going to go that way. I mean, you know, my background initially was, you know, in pharmacy and pharmaceuticals, and mm-hmm. it was uh, really interesting because those concepts were entrenched in pharmacy at the time. You know, pharmacogenomics: how is your body enzymatically going to react to a drug? We know, like uh, Asians drink alcohol; they have uh, a liver enzyme that is slower to metabolize. So they have this like longer effect and more pronounced effect to drinking. Um, and these are like real genetic phenomena and they're fairly common. And, um, there's a lot we could talk about here because, you know, they just came out with this massive, uh, paper reviewing how the migration of humans, um, directly had an impact on genetic mutations um, and the genetic mutations were directly impacted from the uh, nutritional resources Mm. (laughs) available, you know, to Asia versus Africa versus Northern Europe versus the Americas. uh, You know, the diets that they rely on as a culture, um, uh, def- uh, directly impacted their genetic mutations to um, enzymes uh, of digestion and metabolism. So it's um, sort of a definite truth. I think it's considered more a truth in uh, evolutionary medicine, um, maybe like historical biology that kind of stuff. But then we have like nature publication, which is, you know, this world renowned um, journal. And they came out with a big review article called uh, personalized medicine. And it basically talked about that, you know, you can give one person a banana and they'll be fine. You can give another person a banana and they're diabetic. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, and that's a genetic uh, phenomena their 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 genes yeah. reacting to their environment you know um, the environment uh, you know my fa- one of my favorite um, practitioners Laurent Banach um, Dr. Laurent Banach he that's his famous saying you know if, if genetics is the gun well environment is the trigger you know you're yeah. not going to uh, you know you got to respect your own body and how it responds to uh, the inputs um, so yeah, I think it's, it's interesting because only after I graduated, did I see the impact of that same principle of genetics applied in pharmacy to almost everything, um, yeah. environmental, that's uh, just incredible. So, um, so Nate, are you saying that we have control over our genes? Uh, we don't. Well, I think uh, we do and we don't. Uh, and this is the interesting point, uh, I think, on, on Lauren, like in, through Lauren Banach's work. Um, mm-hmm. he's, uh, he's addressed these concerns through reviewing different papers. Um, and one of the um, papers he reviewed looked at exercise and genes. And I think that was probably the most profound um, example of how we do have control over our genes where 
you know, we have this magic pill phenomena where you're going to get a pill to fix everything. So that sounds pretty oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, I know. It's just a great world to live in. Um, and, you know, instead of exercising and eating right, you just take this pill and you'll be fine. Uh, first of all, that is just completely farce because we already know that everyone's genetically very different. Um, yeah. So that wouldn't even work in theory from that point. And then if you exercise one bout of intense exercise, um, basically controls about a thousand genes. So that, that one bout of exercise will turn a thousand genes that would normally just not turn on, on. <laughs> so, um, you know, light switch doesn't turn on by itself. So, yeah. uh, you know, if you want to start the metabolic engine, you got to turn the key to the car. Um, I don't know how many analogies we have to go through, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, um, it requires some work from the individual. And I think that's, uh, a key concept that gets lost in translation. Um, when we're talking about the medical establishment and, uh, our healthcare, uh, you know, at large being able to address these public health problems that are largely, uh, preventative and largely dealing with individual responsibility. Sure. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a tough call. You know, you can control how your genes respond. In the other sense, you can't control your genetic predispositions. If you have a sensitivity to certain foods, um, like peanut allergy is a perfect example. I mean, you're never going to, uh, you know, they're trying to get a drug out <clears throat> to apparently um, help people with peanut allergies not die from peanuts. But mm -hmm. um, when we have really complex things like reaction to meals and uh, you know, types like carbohydrate types or, you know, we have like low FODMAP diets for people with celiac disease or mm -hmm. um, these digestive issues and they just change the foods they eat and their clinical mm -hmm. symptoms go away and they, their pathophysiology yeah. goes away. The destruction to their gut goes away. Um, you know, if they're already, that's the way they're born. It's kind of something that they have to internalize. Uh, yeah, as, well, this is who I am. And, and then they're, you know, it's kind of a tough thing. I, I think everyone wants to eat cake that they already have or something. But, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, sometimes your cake can't have yeah, gluten. Yeah, oh, wow. I That's mean, a really good pers uh, really good point, Nate. Um, really good perspective that, like, yeah, this is like, this is you. This is how, this is just how your body works. And I think as a society in medicine, we're trying to make everybody work the same, right? <laughs> And we, and we want and we want that to be yeah, the case I think that, yeah exactly well, it would sure make the drug companies jobs a little easier but that's just not how that's just not how it works and and oh man so many things to be talked about but i want to <laughs> uh, and for the listeners out there this was kind of an impromptu first episode so just bear with this <laughs> but 
This is all off the cuff. It's like Reno 911. I just, you know, I really want to just hammer on that. But you were talking about about, you know, a lot of these chronic conditions that we see today. And and I talked about this on my, you know, my website that like the huge burden that, you know, it is that is created on the healthcare system by all these people with all these chronic diseases that are for probably the majority preventable. Right. And so, and so then our approach becomes, okay, you've got, you know, you've got metabolic syndrome, you've got some diabetes going on. Like, okay, we can shove some drugs to that, try to reduce your blood sugar, right? Whatever. And (laughs) I love Rob Wolf. I don't know if you ever listened to him. I'm sure you probably did, but he is. Uh, He was, yeah, he was one of my, uh, I actually went to the CrossFit nutrition certification with him him and Matt oh, Lalonde really? back in like 2009 before, before he kind of segregated yeah, from shoot. CrossFit. Um, yeah. And I've, I followed, yeah, I followed his work ever since. I mean, he was one of the people where, you know, I learned, uh, you know, USDA pyramid is the, <laughs> the golden Eagle or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. And, and, and when I read Rob Wolf's concepts and like Barry Sears and the Zone Diet, I was like, "Oh, this is just, this is just malarkey." I mean, and uh, I, I since have just become yeah. a so a yeah. Huge I, anyways, yeah, um, so. the reason I brought yeah. him up is because in his book, uh, he he basically had said, you know, like, "Oh, if we, let's look at diabetes. Like, oh, you have a problem with sugar? Maybe you should stop eating so much sugar." You know, and it's just, it's just it's a great example of like kind of a little bit of a simplicity. Um, but also like how drug companies are approaching this, right? They're trying to find, they're trying to find a, a simple solution. Oh, exactly. What's what's this parameter that's out of sync in the body right now. Let's look at just blood sugar, for example. Okay. Let's just target that blood sugar. And the, the main issue with that is that, you know, having high blood sugar isn't just like, you, it's not an acute condition. Of course, there's situations that could maybe create that sort of condition, but to actually have the like physical manifestations of that particular chronic disease, it takes time. It takes time to get to that point of derangement inside of the body. Right. And so and of course, there's so many different factors. Talk about genes and predispositions. Talk about our environment, like you mentioned, the different types of you know cultures and what foods work best with their bodies. So we have basically this complex situation that's leading to this complex metabolic problem. So how can you treat a complex issue with a simple solution? You can't. And that's why we're losing the war on all this chronic disease, right? And this is where I'm trying to come in and empowering us as individuals, as communities to, to question, question everything, right? Take matters into our own hands, take health into our own hands. Like it, the funny part too, is that it seems like only in the more recent years, like this idea that, Oh, like you can actually control like your gene expression and your own health. Like, it's, you know, it was like this discovering gold moment. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of kind of ironic in a sense, because it just seems that that's something that's kind of inherent within us. 
right? But then to actually have to be told, it's like, okay, perhaps we've drifted, right? We've drifted away from sort of naturally being able to fuel ourselves with good food, good people, sunshine, what, you know, all sorts of things. Well, I think, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think, you know, part part of Rob Wolf's work is heavily involved yeah. in the politics of health. I mean, uh, uh, looking at, you know, how industries are construing um, messages. And I think there's just too many examples over the years. I think part, part of the initial thing was uh, organic foods, which turned into a huge federally centralized um, trademarked, um, you know, licensing agency, the USD organic. I mean, there was a time when that wasn't even something that existed. And I can remember it, I guess, kind of like cell phones. But, um, you know, there was this thing where organic really was more meant to look at, you know, localized foods produced, um, you know, without Mm -hmm. chemicals or very little chemicals. Uh, I think there's different approaches to farming and and Rob Wolf is very much into this. Um, And I I completely back most of his stuff with uh, supporting localized farming, um, you know, polycrop farming like Joel Salatin and uh, the Savory Institute and all that stuff. And, but we see uh, consumer demand getting into an arena where we saw this kind of rise of consumer demand for better quality foods. And then we see in a, like we see this bureau- bureaucratic shift of large industry and it doesn't always tailor to what okay. the, the consumer is actually demanding. And I think we see that in, um, in, in health, you know, in, in the, the things we're talking about in exercise and uh, nutrition where people want quality information. And then we have these large organizations trying to provide that information right. on a massive level, a massive scale uh, with generalized terms. And that just leads to exponential risks of error. Um, whereas, you know, having people like yourself or, someone like me, someone locally, a practitioner that kind of specializes in looking into these things um, as a resource is probably, you know, a thousand times more um, beneficial to someone uh, to have someone there. And yeah, I think we're, we're seeing that play out where, um, you know, our environment is a major factor and, we need more people to kind of have grassroots effort of pushing for more empowerment to um, get individuals more proactive in their environment and more proactive in their health. And, and that proactivity actually probably means more localized kind of things available to people. Um, so, yeah, I, it's, it's definitely a complex thing you know, at some levels, but, and we see, we see those industries trying to simplify it and make their solution, the solution, but usually it's very far (laughs) off from the actual solution. 
<laughs> so, but they have a lot of money. And yeah, that definitely helps very heavily. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the money helps. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I got too far down a rabbit hole there, but it happens, man. It happens. Uh, yeah, you know, chronic. That's what got me into this, though. I think it's what gets everyone into this. You know, chronic disease is uh, is highly preventable. We know this. It's just basic fact, and um, you know the you know most health authorities agree, and but all health authorities have a different approach. And uh, I think, well, not all. That's not completely true, but you know the the approach is blanketed. We don't go to the individual because the uh, argument is we don't have the technology. But like Rob Wolf perfect example has a strategy that we were basically using as the gold standard in the 1970s which is yeah you know going to an elimination diet uh eating mostly like meats and vegetables and then slowly introducing foods i think like his book you know oh, that's a good one. Uh, wired to eat you know his his plan is basically like an old elimination diet style plan that was common practice for yeah yeah food allergies um so it's not like we're reinvent well we kind of are reinventing the wheel but it's not like we don't have well documented you know well documented uh ways of doing things that are simple for the average person to try and also kind of low risk um versus high cost genetic testing and uh medical testing and so yeah it's uh it's interesting to to see how how much of the power lies in a person's hands yeah. and, and their choice is so imperative um, so it's it's completely right completely and yeah on board with know, what you're saying to go along with um, the idea about choice and like I, th- I think that's part of the reason why I, like I, I want to do this too is because you know like people, People have a choice and they're, they're choosing, you know, to eat Cheerios every morning for breakfast or, you know, like whatever, but it's like, you can't put all of the blame on them. Right. Like they're, they're negligent because what, what, what is the media telling them? Right. What, what are all these big companies telling them? Like what you were saying earlier, this one says this, this one says that they're confused. They don't know what to do. So they're just not going to do anything and just keep conforming. Right. Maybe. Maybe you could take it for me. Um, but like that, that's where I want yeah. to come in is that like I want to <laughs> empower people with knowledge and information to make their own like rational decisions, like, especially when it comes to the food that they eat, like what you put inside of your body. Like um, you mentioned something earlier having to do with Rob Wolf, but it, uh, it reminded me of this shift that has happened in the quality of our food, right? Uh, the agricultural revolution was like the most amazing thing to happen, right? Now we can grow all this mass food. We can feed all the, all the starving. We can feed our rapidly expanding population. Like, and of course it was really good during, it goes like world war one or world war two. Um, like, 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 that's awesome. Right. We can feed people, but right. Something that something significant happened, right. We sacrificed, Quant or quality of our food in order to increase the quantity so we can feed more people. And 
honestly, I think that is one of like the most detrimental things to have happened in our history because like we're, we are, we are so neurotic about food, right? All the nutrition fact labels and all this, like, Oh, you have to have 2000 calories every day. Like if, and God forbid you only eat, you know, a thousand, you know, maybe restrict a little bit during the day. Like no way. Right. That's not good for you. <laughs> Restricting calorie fasting. No, yeah, your body needs fuel. Right. I mean, like 24 seven, you know, every two or three hours. Isn't that what they recommend? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. It's just the amount of information out there that contradicts itself is by, by, you know, established health authorities is uh yeah is is rampant i mean we can't generalize when we're talking about individualism and that's the problem is we do generalize um when we shouldn't maybe but um yeah that's that's such a good point um yeah you know digging in from like education with functional medicine right it's like you know let's, let's take a rash for example um you know if you take two people with the same rash, there's a good chance that the cause of that rash is going to be different between those individuals, right? Maybe this person's rash is caused by this allergic or this food that they happen to be a little allergic to, but it's not expressed as a, you know, typical allergic reaction that we, we think about, right? Um, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, did you hear that? All right. Oh, it'll be it'll be the, it'll be our first interlude <laughs> for the episode. <laughs> no, but so you know yeah. what I'm saying is that so one person it could be you know a food related cause versus the other person maybe they've got some psychological issues going on you know something from their past that was never resolved or just something that is eating at their psyche and they don't know how to cope with it and how to process it and therefore we get some sort of you know external physical manifestation coming from actually an internal psychological process um i can't wait to go into this stuff more like vlogs and stuff like that but just as an example of you know going along with what you're saying how we just we can't generalize even every condition to every person because it's they're all going to have different causes and they're all going to have different treatments but you know one thing you said earlier i wanted to talk about was like the whole preventative just i guess the realm of preventative medicine right like I, i feel like it doesn't maybe it gets a bad rap or maybe just because it doesn't have as much I guess like research and like concrete data that you can get with, you know, drugs and stuff like that. Um, and so it's hard, it's hard for people to, to trust. Well, yeah. not, I mean, not only trust the information, but just to find the information, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's a credibility issue and, um, you know, because it's hard, it's much harder to, right, take a population and, you know, assess, right, exercise um, effects on, you know, overall mortality or something. Like, obviously, like, you can't do that. <laughs> There's a lot of confounding that goes on, but that's much harder to do than like, okay, let's take this small group of people, 
with a particular condition give them a drug and see the results of that you know what i mean like i don't know if that's making sense that might be rambling now but (laughs) no no um you know and that's something that i've looked into over the years um you know in pharmacy school i can remember just having this kind of desire to find the answers um and reading one paper you know like you know you look at financial bias and uh you know reading this one paper i can't remember the paper i mean it's so long ago but you know it was a pharmaceutical industry paper advocating for diabetics to take um you know insulin meds or diabetic meds like metformin or as the solution um to diabetes because it's the best way to, you know, prevent right. further destruction. And I think within the paper, they were trying to argue that nutrition was not very <laughs> significant on diabetes. Um, that exercise actually had more influence than nutrition on metabolic function. So there might be mm-hmm. some truth to the exercise part. If you think of, you know, a triathlete versus a strongman eating right. 10,000 calories a day, you know, how they choose to exercise is going to um, bring much different results to uh, how they, you know, their sure. physiology, how they look uh, and how they can, how they can perform different tasks. So, but it doesn't mean that triathletes don't get diabetes and strongmen avoid diabetes. I mean, um, you know, depending on some diet choices, you can definitely lower your risk of developing these conditions. Um, and, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. So like you said, you know, like preventative medicine, it's not a quick, it's not a quick fix. Um, why isn't right. Why isn't it at the forefront? Why isn't it the main message that we're constantly being bombarded with? Um, because, that should be our, at the forefront of our choices. If we really want to start squashing um, these metabolic diseases, if we really want to start squashing these diseases that are preventable through those choices and through yeah. our environment. And uh, so, yeah, I think, um, you know, JAMA has posted on this. Uh, I think they posted, you know, like preventative care receives like something like 30% of all funding in America. Um, Whereas it's responsible for like over 70% yeah, of all disease. So you have this, yeah, it's just absolutely backwards. I mean, we focus so heavily on having the magic pill that we lose sight of the weakness of the pill and the strength of our own choice um, to do yeah. things differently in our life. Um, you know, I've used on my, uh, on our podcast, I've used the analogy like, you know, if you have a if you have a hose with a hole in it, um, you know you can tape it, but it's probably not going to work the same. Um, and if there's a hole in it because you just have the water pressure too high, um, the solution would be to kind of lower the water pressure. You know, nonsense. Uh, you know, the environment <laughs> the environment is impacting the hose, the, the water pressure is impacting the hose. So taping it and keeping the same pressure is going to have, um, 
requirements of more tape and that's exactly what we see in the literature we you know when one per, when a person person is descri- uh, prescribed one drug the chance of them pre- being prescribed five drugs in 10 years is yeah. astronomically high um so it's it's kind of like this domino effect that and we also know that the risks of taking drugs are very high i mean especially in combination when you have all these potential oh, yeah. side effects um a drug for the drug right kind of compounded <laughs> a drug for the drug and then you get drug for the drug i mean when i first practiced i think gee golly this is really serious let's uh really help this person and you know we had a lot more time to talk to people and mm-hmm. um you definitely saw the quality there and then by the time i was like oh, i gotta do my own thing this is just getting absurd i would I would, I think every day I walked into the pharmacy, I had someone on 20 plus drugs, at least one person, if not multiple people. And that was just absolutely unheard of like five years prior. Um, So yeah, we have to address the major issue, which is drugs don't fix things. Drugs are, are like, you know, are flex seal, (laughs) you know, for the boat. And, uh, you know, if we're trying to rely on duct tape, yeah, I think duct tape is like an incredible tool, but, you know, uh, sometimes you have to actually get the the right parts in place um, to fix the structure and uh, make sure that you're using the equipment properly. Um, So, yeah, you know. Yeah, I like like that hose analogy. That's that's a good one. yeah you're right so like you know i'm going through medical school and you know we learn about you know we do all the from the micro to kind of the macro uh, and you know we're basically we're learning how the body functions first in order to then focus on what to do when it's dysfunctioning right but like that's kind of it it's kind of blank and it's simple and you know, that's, it's, it, there was just, there was some, something missing for me, you know, it just, just seemed odd that here I was trained to be a physician, right? A doctor, a healer, whatever you want to call it. And like the entity that's controlling me and governing, governing that is, is forcing me to focus on just disease management. It's like, where's all the, you know what I mean? Like it just, it seemed very odd that, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes, you know, I mean, like yes, I will learn basic physiology, how things work, but but I was never taught like how to actually maintain that normal physiology or what kind of things really influence that normal physiology, and it was just kind of disheartening, you know. And I was like, there's got to be a better way, and I think part of that came from my prior training. Got to give my brother some credit for going to the gym in high school and <laughs> getting us on the health train. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, there's, there's that massive disconnect and it's like almost like a huge assumption being drawn that, um, you, you likely know why, you know, I think that's the big problem. And, uh, you know, something that concerned me was, you know, I had a student come on board to, uh, precept me. I have, you know, I have a very non-traditional practice and, um, this student was interested in just kind of learning about non-traditional practices. Um, you know, I, I do mostly fitness coaching and lifestyle management. And 
trying to get people off drugs. And, um, you know, one of the first questions I asked her was, Oh, so like, what did you learn about nutrition? Um, and she was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, uh, <laughs> well, did you have to take a nutrition course? She's like, no, I never took nutrition. And that, that was a pre uh, prerequisite for us. And then yeah. I said, well, I mean, what did you go over in school about, you know, non-pharmacological or non-drug methods of treating disease? And she's like, we really didn't talk about it much. <laughs> and to me, that was, what? that was kind of the, uh, the root of my, my decision-making was, wow, like I am seeing less and less incentive for the most important stuff that we need to talk about. And in yeah. school, I think every, you know, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, um, you know, lung diseases, you know, chronic lung diseases, almost every lecture started with, here are the non-pharmacological interventions. <laughs> Austin, yeah. Before we even apply drugs. And then you go out. And you read the, you know, American Diabetic Association guidelines and it says, okay, someone's blood sugar is high. Give them drugs immediately. <laughs> and eat a, and eat a <laughs> low uh, fat, high it carb seems diet, like right? <laughs> yeah. And eat low fat, high carb diet because they're very sensitive to carbohydrates <laughs> and it makes the disease worse. Typically, yeah. I think it's just this huge misnomer and the liability, the concept of liability and and um, how they're assessing risk is so far off from clinical relevance and seems to be so in line with, um, you know, profiting off of trademarks and, um, you know, cause someone has to make money, but how are we making money as, is, is uh, you know, if the demand in the industry is actually for better health, then there should be an incentive for that demand to be, rational and uh you know better health uh you know maybe can be argued as double speak in our current times where you know it means you the better the more drugs you have the better your health is or something <laughs> i don't think that's the reality. no it's, it's the it's the more rich you are and wealthy you are the more healthy you will be because you will be able to afford those 20 different drugs that are going to be barely keeping you alive Exactly. And, and that, that's why I'm, I'm so uh, critical of socialized medicine because we have these regulations and socializing it or taxation and giving everyone care would only mean that, you know, these regulations are just standard. So we lose all hope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if the regulations are bad and they're being enforced yeah. on the nat on, on the national scale, then it's only going to be, absolute havoc so i think we need to step back and say hey we need to find the people who are promoting the correct information and give them a chance to succeed and we need to uh kind of cater to that um message and support it on a local right. level um, that seems to be like a much more rational and practical approach is hey i'm willing to you know, like cash, like, you know, we have, we have physicians that see, have seen this and go to cash based practices and they say, Hey, pay me, you know, 50 bucks a month. I'll answer any questions yeah. you have. You can come into my office or a hundred bucks a month or whatever it is. And they get, you know, 
so many clients and they're able to establish this practice that is more in line with their you know, decision-making and they kind of uphold these liabilities, but they just have like proper waivers yeah. and liability placed. And I think those models need to be um, set forth and things like what you're doing need to be the parent, the, the precedent um, at the kind of ground level, you know, to uh, get the ball rolling and, you know, empower yeah. people. Cause that's, that's what you're trying to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's what we yeah. need. That's the funny thing about that story is um, I was talking to Emil one day and, and he was telling me the story of like, uh, um, oh crap. I just lost my train of thought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So like <laughs> the history, right? Like back way back in the days, right? When they were like the dock in the village or whatever. Um, you know, you as the doctor, like you were paid by people only when they were actually healthy. And then when that person got right. sick, that's when you wouldn't, that's when you, they would stop payments until you made them healthy again. And it's like, that is such a like profound like image of like, I guess what I have always wanted and envisioned like being a practitioner would be like, you know, it's like, I am there for your health, not to manage your disease. And yeah, I, I yeah. think that'll start and getting I, more I recognition, you know, as you were saying, me trying to do this, just people trying to empower individuals that then will lead to communities, to small societies, kind of starting from the bottom, right? Working yeah. And, the uh, chain, but, yeah, I thought, I thought the history was interesting. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's been the history up until you know, fairly recently, um, you know, most of our physicians valued their reputation and held their reputation as paramount. But when you can, um, you know, offset your reputation to a liability from a regulation that allows you to practice something that might not be the best <laughs> standard of practice and protects you, um, that is a very big concern. At, on the nation, you know, on the national level, I think we're seeing that um, play out. And you know, as far as payments go, we see you know health practitioners keep making more and more money, especially administrators um, at hospitals. And we keep seeing exponential health problems. Um, the health just keeps getting worse and worse at the same time in direct correlation. So it doesn't make sense when people, you know, get called out for these conspiracy theories, like, Oh, you're just a conspiracy theorist uh, saying that, you know, this is the sick care system. I, I know Rob Wolf uses that a lot. <laughs> and um, it's like, well, how is that a conspiracy when there's direct correlation? I think there, there definitely needs to be some kind of criticism too. And it should be real and it should be, um, warranted and uh thorough yeah. and and looking at looking at physiology looking at science looking at biology science. looking at evolutionary medicine you know <laughs> if we're if we're not looking at that and we're simply looking at finances we're doing a great disservice to uh everybody yeah. so yeah you know it's you that's know. funny too you were saying earlier uh 
you know, the administrators and these types of people are right. They're getting, they're getting paid. They're getting, they're getting benefits while at the same time, people are getting sicker. We're getting more people that are sick, but wait, I like, we have all this money in the pharmaceutical industry too. Right. So like, don't we have the like best and baddest of drugs these days? Like, shouldn't that offset the rise of chronic disease since we'd be able to treat people better? Yeah, I think, you know, and that's, that's something that, you know, is paramount, you know, uh, if our technology is at the pinnacle, why isn't our disease fighting capacity at the, the pinnacle? Like look at this epidemic, I mean, or this pandemic rather, you know, our health system is not as strong as we sometimes are led to believe and our capacities are limited and we see less and less physicians and practitioners and more and more people. And we know there's a correlation between uh, quality of care and uh, the number of physicians to the population. Um, So it's something that we have to look at. And at the same time, we have to look at drugs. Like right now, the leading class of drugs is cancer meds for cancer. Mm. And what's interesting about that? Well, what's interesting about that is there's such a massive proportion of cancers that are preventable. Um, you know, we don't always look at cancer as a preventable disease. Yeah. And I think that's concerning because, you know, if you develop cancer because of your environment, because of your health decisions, that's huge. I mean, you could have not had cancer, um, <laughs> you know, and then to top it off, cancer drugs and cancer medicine and research is some of the most wish wash stuff there is. I mean, you have these like studies with, you know, 50 people, the power is so low. And then you see this study with such low power get extrapolated to the entire population of billions of people. And, uh, it's something that just, um, has come in recent times. Um, so yeah, you know, more power to you to us, to everyone who's really trying to uh, counterpoint the the status quo um, and pointing out that, you know, your choices are directly related to your cancer risk. Uh, it's not a guarantee. Right. And I think that that's kind of the, uh, the way it plays out by industry is, well, it's not the exception, you know, they, they kind of make the exception, the rule. So, um, you know, oh, did you hear so-and-so, they were very healthy and they got cancer. Well, okay. But, you know, that's the outlier. That's the uh, person that probably did their best to avoid it and maybe had something very odd happen versus, well, you know, all these people develop cancer, but they're morbidly obese, you know. It's like we don't look at they have all these multiple, multiple metabolic conditions. Okay, well, their risk is substantially higher in general we know their risk is generally or generally higher um and that is what what's costing us the most money and that is what's taking resources away um from putting more money into preventative messaging and um so yeah i guess some some of it has to just come from 
charitable donation. <laughs> um, yeah, if anyone's listening, um, <laughs> definitely taking any and all donations. <laughs> I'll have that. I'll have that option available um, pretty shortly for the listeners. But <laughs> um, I think I think we might have made a few people's heads explode at this point. So. <laughs> so the first episode is always the longest and. <laughs> yeah hopefully not um you know i think at the beginning we we're supposed to say you know this is um this is not meant to to treat prevent or cure any disease uh, please talk to your healthcare provider yeah uh, maybe we can put that in you should probably put that in the disclaimer <laughs> put it in the show notes uh, and then yeah attach it to yeah every, every prior recording we'll, we'll start the message off with <laughs> i have that on my podcast <laughs> if you want to listen to what we say uh yeah, but yeah, so I think this I think this is great. I, I do have to get going, but uh I I think we really shared a lot of great ideas. Um so I hope uh hope we can do it again. Yeah, Nate, um really appreciate you having you know having you on here and uh excited to have some more conversations. But um um, I wanted to ask you if you um, could send me the links to those articles that you had mentioned, um, especially about like the population migrations and uh, like genetic influences on you know nutritional decisions and things like that. And that way, I can include them in the show notes, and people can go check them out and read them if they want. Sure, I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to dig into yeah, my files. Um, I'll try. Yeah, I'll try to get to you, uh, those to you ASAP. Um, and yeah, the the population one, the migration one was fairly recent, so that was a pretty cool one. Um, yeah, uh, just uh, the ideas of the articles, because um, I think I talked about like ten of them. So <laughs> I don't remember what I talked about, but and I, I'm not sure if I can listen. I, okay, yeah, I'll, I'm not I'll... sure if I can listen to this. Um, if I can, yeah, I'll listen to it. But if I can't, like if it's because you linked to me, I don't know how it works. So. Yeah. I might have to like publish oh, okay. it first. Uh, I don't know. This is my first rodeo. So we'll all right, yeah. So I'll uh, get you those papers. And uh, that sounds like awesome. Cool. Well, hey, thanks again, Nate, for coming on. And uh, thank you for all the listeners. If there are any. Um, <laughs> Feel free to leave any comments or questions, and uh, and yeah, thanks for joining. We'll see you next yeah, time thanks, on the Externist. Thank you for having me, Colby. It's always awesome talking to you, and I I'm uh, it's super motivating for me to see uh, people like yourself doing this kind of stuff. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, hey, I'd I'd like to say you had a, a impact. Oh yeah, on a that, little bit, I guess. I mainly just really liked your beard, but. All right. I'll talk to you later. Uh, yep, see you. All right, Nate. Bye.